The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. I don't know about you, but I've become a bit weary lately uh, of the evening news. Uh, (laughs) Um, uh, You know, uh, just all of it. And the inability to affect anything, to affect anything or effect any kind of change, a sense of uh, overwhelm and powerlessness. And I've um, stepped back quite a lot from watching it. um, And uh, there I was the other evening um, chopping carrots and stirring soup and listening to music. And um, Leonard Cohen's song, Anthem, came on. And as I listened to it, and I've heard it many times, as I'm sure you have as well, heard it um, before, and I sort of listened to it, as one is wont to do when you are chopping carrots, um, a little bit more clearly, a little bit more deeply. And I just thought, that's a nice song. I like that. It's actually very Buddhist, I thought. You know? Um, and so I um, researched it a little bit um, and um, realized that uh, Leonard Cohen was actually an ordained Zen priest. I didn't know that. Yeah. He had a 40-year Zen practice, and for five years, shortly after he wrote the song, which, by the way, took him 10 years to write, um, he um, went and uh, served for five years as the personal attendant of Sasaki Roshi. He was in solitude uh, with Sasaki Roshi for five years, and, and um, during which time he was ordained. Um, so it's sort of no surprise that the song and the, and the uh, lyrics that really were touching me sounded very Buddhist. Uh, and the theme, or the, the, the refrain of ring the bells that still can ring. Uh, which is, you know, reminded me of that quote that I uh, uh, t- uh, spoke of in the meditation of the Buddha. You know, he says, cultivating the wholesome, I call an equipment of mind uh, for dealing with, for overcoming ill will and hostility. I just have always, you've heard me say it so many times before, I just love that notion of an equipment of mine. I have this image of like bulldozers and, you know, back-end loaders and things, you know. But that cultivating the wholesome is that kind of equipment of mind and ringing the bells, the ones that can ring. Um, And Leonard Cohen saying, there's a crack in everything which is also very Buddhist, the sense of there is no such thing as perfection, you know, as something that is complete and and whole and perfect. Um, So I thought I would play the song and uh, talk about it a little bit. So 
the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in.
only quibble with the song is that I have often thought when I heard it that it isn't so much how the light gets in as how the light gets out. You know, that we're actually beings of light and the cracks are um, when we uh, stop posing, we stop imagining, we stop posturing um, and we let go. But whatever, uh, ring the bells that still can ring. What I would invite you to do, as always, um, as you listen uh, to these words, is to um, reflect a bit. And uh, maybe at the end, you will take uh, a word or a, a phrase with you to reflect further, to contemplate in your life about this. You know, we did in the meditation, we brought a little attention to ease and to gladness and gratitude um, so that you might take one of those words, ease or gladness or gratitude, or maybe one of the other words that comes up or perhaps some of the words from the song and really allow yourself to reflect, um, how can I cultivate this wholesome in my life, in, you know, in this particular life? Um, I've been finding myself, as I've been working with this talk, um, with kind of an earworm around ring the bells that still can ring, which has been really quite a lovely experience all in all. Um, this is what Lo Leonard Cohen said about his song. Uh, I want to read to you a, a bit of a quote, uh, because someone interviewed him and asked him about it. The song, by the way, the title is Anthem, if you're looking for it. Um, he says, it's no excuse, the dismal situation. And the future is no excuse for an abdication of your own personal responsibilities toward yourself and your work and your love. Ring the bells that still can ring. They're few and far between, but you can find them. Forget your perfect offering. That is the hang-up that you're going to work this thing out. Because we confuse this idea and we've forgotten the central myth of our culture, which is the expulsion from the Garden of Eden. This human situation does not ad admit of a solution of perfection, whether it's internal or external. This constructed world is not the place where you make things perfect, neither in your marriage, nor in your life, nor in your work, nor anything, nor your love of God, nor your love of family or country. The thing is imperfect. And worse, there is a crack in everything that you can put together. Physical objects, mental objects, constructions of any kind. That sounds like the Buddha, doesn't it? But that's where the light gets in, and that's where the resurrection is, and that's where the return, that's where the repentance is. It is with the confrontation with the brokenness of things. Ring the bells that still can ring. So I'd like you to um, consider for a moment the things in your life, whether it's internal or external, that have cracks in them. Uh, do you have any? You know? <laughs> you know? Um, and the note, I was certainly noticing over the holiday, I was in a family situation that was a bit challenging. 
and noticing just how much I wanted it to be different, you know. Uh, really strong hunger for something to be more pleasant than it was. Um, and the song speaks, first of all, of this, that first noble truth, the cracks in things. You know, the Buddhist teaching on the cracks, the cracks in things, the dukkha of our lives, uh, that um, everything ha has cracks in it. Everything has cracks in it. And we're not going to fix it. We're not going to fix ourselves. We're not going to fix politics. We're not going to fix our marriages. We're not going to fix our bodies. We're not going to fix... You know, we're not going to fix anything in any ultimate way. Um, that anything that is constructed has cracks in it. Um, Cohen also points us to the third noble truth. Let go, he says. Let go. Let go of trying to fix it. Let go of your ideas about what perfection is. Uh, let go. He says, don't dwell on what has passed away. Um, don't try to fix what has gone before. There was a wonderful peanut, maybe you saw it, the Peanuts cartoon um, in the Sunday paper where Lucy is stomping around saying, I refuse to think about the present or the future. I am determined I am just going to dwell on the past and how awful it was. <laughs> I cut it out. You'll see, it'll show up some point in the future. It's just so perfect. It's what we do. <laughs> you know, it's like I refuse. She's just stomping around for the whole cart for the whole thing, you know, refusing refusing um to let go of what has gone before. Uh Leonard Cohen says, "Don't dwell on that, folks." He says, uh, you know, don't w dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be, what you wish for." Our task he proposed in his music is to be present, to be mindful. And in the present moment, to not dwell on what on the bells that can no longer ring, but to find those bells, the ones that can still ring, and ring them. You know, cultivating the wholesome, the Buddha says, is an equipment of mind. Um, and what the Buddha also said um, in one of his suttas, he says, whenever you want to do something, a bodily, verbal, or mental action, you should reflect on it. This action I want to do, would it lead to self-affliction, to the affliction of others, or to both? Would it be an unskillful bodily action with painful consequences, painful results? If on reflection you know that it would lead to self-affliction, to the affliction of others, or to both, it would be an unskillful bodily action with painful consequences, painful results. Um, then any bodily action, and by that he means um, any physical action or verbal speech or mental action, thinking, um, he says, then um, any bodily action of that sort is absolutely unfit for you to do. You've heard me tell about the Dalai Lama who interrupted someone who was talking about um, being um, uh, intensely self-critical of himself, and the Buddha or the Dalai Lama interrupted him, and he said, "Don't do that," you know. And this is what the Buddha is saying: Don't do that. Um, 
But if on reflection you know that it would not cause affliction, it would be a skillful bodily action with pleasant consequences, pleasant results, then any bodily action of that sort is fit for you to do. And the Buddha says in his typical way in the suttas, he says whenever you want to do something, you should reflect on it. And then he goes through the whole long sequence again. He says while you're doing something, you should reflect on it in exactly the same way. And having done it, you should reflect on it in exactly the same way. You know, how is this working for me? Is it helping? How is it going? Ring the bells that still can ring. Um, There is so much today that feels broken, isn't there? You know? Uh, Sometimes it can just be overwhelming, which is why I was chopping carrots and not listening to the news. Um, But we can know that nothing constructed, which is everything, in in our world, in our lived lives, nothing constructed is without its cracks and brokenness. So in that sense, our political world, you know, is sort of how it is. It isn't to say to be passive and ignore it all, um, but to stop longing for something that we think is perfect. Um, Not you, not me, not anybody that we think, that we look to is without um, cracks and brokenness. not all those people and relationships and situations that we wish were better and more perfect than they actually are. I'd like to just invite you to contemplate for a few moments um, some of the things that occurred to me, um, some of the bells that have rung in the imperfect circumstances in your life in the past. Um, You might just reflect for a few moments on a benefactor who wasn't perfect, but from whom you gained a great deal. Someone whose flaws you saw either at the time or much later. Maybe a parent or a teacher political figure, public figure, who gave you something, even though it wasn't perfect. Reflect on a personal suffering that changed your life, or that opened your heart in a wider, more compassionate way to the suffering of others. I think about my car just stopping one New Year's Eve way, 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 way out in the country. I was stranded and homeless, far from home. Really interesting experience of homelessness. So a personal suffering that changed your life or that opened your heart in a wider, more compassionate way to the suffering of others.
a friend's wise, wise advice that you took and that opened life in a new and valued way. I remember early on in my mother's illness, um, I was complaining to a friend of mine about how my family wasn't helping enough. And he said, don't do that. Look to see what they can do and help them do it. Don't have expectations, you know, of your own. Such wise advice. It completely changed the trajectory of the next eight years of our relationships and indeed our relationships to this day. So a friend's wise advice that you took that corrected you somehow and that opened your life in new and important ways. A difficult situation in which you gained courage and the ability to speak and act to make a change. Last summer as I was, um, as I uh, developed the Beloved Community Fundraiser, some of you heard me say over and over again, who is this person? I don't do stuff like this. So a difficult situation in which you gained courage or you learned maybe discernment or patience or the ability to speak or act to make a change. A kindness from a complete stranger that touched you deeply. I was in Greece one time uh, as a young woman and resting in a little, like what would now be an Airbnb that we had just arrived in. And uh, the older woman who owned, who, whose house it was, kind of crept into the room where I was and lifted my head and put a pillow under it. I've never forgotten that. So a tiny kindness from a complete stranger that touched you and maybe changed you. So unlike Lucy stomping around and thinking about all the things, you know, all the cracks and everything that we're going to hang on to and never forget, um, we can remember, we can reflect, we can contemplate, 
these bells that ring daily, hourly, moment at moment by moment in our lives, these moments of gladness and goodness. Sometimes we find the Buddhist teachings in the strangest places. I was reading um, a couple of days ago an article in the New York Times on keeping New Year's resolutions. <laughs> I was like, here's why New Year's resolutions don't work. I thought, oh, well, I'll read that one. Let me check and see. The article said, put simply, those who can persevere toward their long-term goals in the face of temptation to do otherwise, those who have grit, are best positioned for success. Okay, well, we were sort of talking about that, or I was sort of talking about that with our meditation practice, you know. It's like how to be successful, you know, I'm going to meditate every day. So those who can, you know, persist with something difficult are best positioned for success. But then they went on to say um, that in spite of the numerous, what it called the cottage industry of self-help books, what research has concluded, what research has concluded, the New York Times said, is willpower doesn't work. <laughs> we know that, don't we? <laughs> it's not your fault. <laughs> Don't we, I mean, we think, you know, we kind of think, you know, there's somebody someplace for whom this works, but I'm just too much of a wuss to get it to work. And he went on to say, if using willpower to keep your nose to the grindstone feels like a struggle, that's because it is. <laughs> your mind is fighting against itself. It's trying to convince, conjole, cajole, and if that fails, suppress your desires. We too often think about self-improvement and the pursuit of our goals embracing self-flagellating terms. I will do better. I will muscle through. I will wake up earlier. I will meditate more often and for longer. But it doesn't need to be that way, and it shouldn't. Self-control, and I would propose spiritual practice, isn't about feeling miserable. Nevertheless, it is about the ability to put something else ahead of your own immediate sensory desires and interests. And he went on in the article, um, I, I'll try to remember to uh, put it in the, um, attach it to the talk when it gets posted, uh, the article if you want to read it. He says it's our emotions specifically, check this, specifically gratitude, compassion, and an authentic sense of pride. He says it's, it's not the kind of arrogant hubris, but being proud of the skills you have that push us to behave in ways that show self-control. So gratitude, compassion, and an authentic sense of, hey, I can do this, um, that really are the keys to um, uh, being able to postpone in, an immediate, you know, uh, sitting down in front of the TV instead of whatever. Um, ring the bells that still can ring, you know. Ring the ones that work. Ring the ones that are that we're able to ring. 
And um, I, I've, uh, I was um, remembering a couple of the Buddha's suttas. Uh, one is the Mangala Sutta, and um, as, uh, one of his followers asked the Buddha to, to say, what are the greatest blessings? I'll read to you what he said, but each of these, um, he says, is the greatest blessing. So I won't read it, the greatest blessing each time, but you can just sort of add it in. He says, not to associate with the foolish, but to associate with the wise. You can kind of contemplate as um, I go through which ones are true for you in your life. Um, not to associate with the foolish, but to associate with the wise. To honor those who are worthy of honor. To reside in a suitable locality. To have done meritorious actions in the past and to set oneself in the right course. To have much learning. To be skillful in work. Well trained in discipline. To be of good and wise speech. to support our parents, to cherish our partners and children, to be engaged in peaceful occupation, to be generous in giving, to be righteous in conduct, to help one's relatives to be blameless in action, to abstain from evil, to refrain from drunkenness and to be steadfast in virtue and to be respectful, humble, contented, and grateful. And then you've heard me many times because it's my very favorite sutta, speak of the Mahanama Sutta, in which the Buddha invites us very explicitly and specifically to contemplate our own generosity. And indeed, very specifically, to contemplate our own virtues. Cultivating the wholesome, he says, I call an equipment of mind for overcoming ill will and hostility. So we can practice all of these things. Um, I was going to talk a little bit, knowing I really didn't have time to do that, um, about the paramis um, and where uh, the paramis are uh, a set of uh, uh, practices, and uh, like I'll read them to you generosity, virtue, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity. Um, and um, one of the beautiful they're, they're teachings of the Buddha that were actually collected at, well after his death, but they were collected into a, a series of teachings. And um, our um, intention as teachers is to offer a series on the paramis um, in the springtime uh, before too long, so they'll be coming. But one of the beautiful features of the paramis is that you don't have to like be sitting on your cushion. You can cultivate these qualities you know, in your daily life. Um, in, you know, moment to moment, the interactions with the waitress who um, forgets half of your order or, you know, 
takes a really long time or that um, call center that puts you on hold for a really long time or whatever it is that we find difficult in our lives or the politicians that we find challenging or the grief around some of the world situations. What are the qualities of mind and heart um, that we can cultivate that enable us to navigate life's challenges? Um, the um, uh, Ajahn Suchito, and I'll try to put this in the, uh, attach it to the uh, talk as well. Ajahn Suchito has a whole book that you can actually download, a free book that you can download on the paramis, on these qualities of mind and heart. And the subtitle is Crossing Life's Floods. You know? So being able, you know, cultivating these qualities that enable us to be steadfast in the midst of life's floods and indeed to cross them. Um, I've been reading, oh golly, I'll try to put this in the, in the thing too. It'll be eight pages long. Um, I've been reading, uh, again, Greg Boyle's book. Uh, not again, I've been reading a new book that he's written. It's called Barking to the Choir, which is an absolutely awesome book. I'm going to read, you know, I just closed it and I'm going to start all over again. It's very uh, Christian, but you can, um, you know, if it doesn't appeal to you and it's, and it's, uh, and it's Christian uh, references, I just translate them and find it works absolutely beautifully. And he works with the worst of the worst. He works with... Um, uh, the most violent gangs in the country in in Los Angeles with the most amazing, beautiful, open heart. And he says, um, this is speaking of his work, he says, the goal is not perfection, but a wholeness anchored in grateful living. You know, and he, in his writings, in the two books that he writes, you really get that flavor in the quality of his open heart. Uh, that the goal is not perfection, but a wholeness anchored in grateful living. This is the Buddha. He says, look within, be still. Free from fear and attachment, know the joy of the way. That's the Buddha. And I want to end with a poem uh, that was written by Judy Townsend. What if today is a present for you to open? What if your life is not a mission to accomplish? What if your breath could be your best friend? Would you give thanks for the sun and for the rain? Would you open the window for the fly who wants to be free? Would you stop when you hear the wind in the pines or when the moon casts her light through bare branches? There are countless ways to say yes. Why would you say no? And invite you to contemplate in your own life. Where are the bells? What are the bells? Maybe just bringing one practice, one word, whether it's gratitude or generosity or virtue, um, or kindness. Just bring one quality and just see what, you know, how could I ring this bell in a way that nourishes both me and my world? Happy New Year. Blessings. <laughs>